I'm Manda, and together we're Black Compat. We're a growing community focused on diversity, inclusion, representation, conversation, and fun on Twitch. Wanna be fam? For chill community vibes, Wednesday nights at 7, join BC Row for the Wednesday wind down. Friday nights, join us for Let's Plays where we explore narrative and single player campaign games. Stop by on Fridays at 7. Catch our flagship podcast, The Tribunal, live every other Sunday at 3 p.m., where we talk about issues that are important to us as Black women. Issues like representation, inclusion, diversity, and more within the video games and entertainment industries. Check our channel and social handles to find out when a new tribunal is going to drop. We've got even more content on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter handles, and our website, blackcompat.com. So join in the conversation in whatever way you like at Black and Pat. Remember, always and never or. All times are Eastern. And now, the Boston Bastard Brigade on the street in Wicked Anime and Black Compat proudly present Duckamuck in Japan. Bastards and wenches, welcome to episode 10 of Duckamuck in Japan, Connie Crab's Castle. I am your King Baby Duck, Evan Borgo, coming to you from beautiful Ikibukuro, Tokyo, Japan. And with us, as always, is the creator of Solarian Sun, AFLM. Oh, hello. Our Tetris Master, John Starr. Road to 10 million. Yes. On and back from an amazing trip that he's going to be talking about, security guy Greg. Hola, or whatever the Icelandic word for hello is. (laughs) I think it's hello. (laughs) All right, then. (laughs) And our special guest, he is actually a fellow teacher of mine at what we'll call it for uh, secrecy's sake, Mizu Otoko High School. He's also a musician who has been playing all around Tokyo. Please welcome to the show, Connie Crab. Hello, everyone. Thank you for Hello. having me, Duckamuck Crew. Yes. yes. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> <Fuck 'em. laughs> yeah. So, as the title of the show states, we are going to be talking about Connie Crab, his life here in Japan, his music career, touch about a little bit about his teaching. And regarding one of the other parts of this show, or rather one of the other parts of the title, the return of a classic Japanese game show. But first, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to our good buddy Brian from the Flame On Podcast Show, which is currently the only OG nerdy show podcast that's still on the Omniverse network, apparently. Yes. So here it's still running. Yeah. So I got to hang out with him and Ikibukuro and had an absolute blast chatting with him and showing him around. I've kind of become Mr. Ikibukuro because like every time (laughs) someone comes to visit, I'm the guy who shows them around the best parts of town. (laughs) Nice. And, And like Brian is awesome. Great to chat with. And we actually might meet up again sometime this weekend, so looking forward oh, to that. Great. So, How long's Ryan in Japan for? I think he's in for like a month. 
Oh, wow. That's a pretty good time to stay in Japan. Well, he yeah. comes out here a lot. He kind of, you know, he has that job of his. I don't know if I'm actually allowed to talk about his actual job, but he has a Probably job. Not. That, That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So he comes out here a lot. So this is kind of like a second home to him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So shout out to you, Brian, and look forward to hanging out with you. And definitely going to have to have you on the podcast show sometime soon. So nice. let us start off things with a little ADA, Ask Duck Anything. And uh, and Connie Crabb, since you are our guest, uh, on this show, we begin with our fellow podcast comrades asking about current life in Japan. And I figured this could be something that you also could answer just in case. Okay, I'm here. I'm All ready right. for it. So, Andrew, Greg, Jonathan, ask away. Um, this week, I haven't prepared anything for Astuck anything. Give me a second and I can... <laughs> well, okay, so for, first off, how many months are you in now, Evan? So, I've been doing this. So, being here in Japan, so let's see, came in August, so September, October, November, December, January. So, this is my sixth month here. Holy cow, six months wow. already? Yeah. Half oh, a wow. year. Yes. Gosh, okay, so, so fast. I know. I know. No, no joke. So, then after six months, what, what have you gotten used to that you never thought that you would have gotten used to? Crowded trains. Crowded trains, okay. Yes. Um, I've been experiencing them a lot because I do a lot of traveling, especially during the rush hour time. So I have been getting a lot more used to the crowdness of trains. Like back in Boston, like I I absolutely hated being in that and like trains and just the crowdedness of it. But there's something about the way that, granted, not the most extreme crowdedness, but the crowd in this in Japan, there, there's still kind of a bit of, I don't know how to describe the feeling, but it's like, it's, I feel like my personal space isn't being invaded as much. Mm-hmm. The assurance that you could win any fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Evan. I mean, trains, I'm, I'm from Oakland, California. So oh, that- sure. Yeah. The BART train system is uh, a much different experience than uh, the trains out here. So, yeah, out here, if it's really crowded, like, you may be up against someone, but, you know, no one's – you're not going to get talked to. Everyone's – you know, no one's talking. So <laughs> you can kind of just zen into your own space, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah, we kind of are – we kind of build our own personal bubbles, whether it's in the trains or just walking around. You know, once in a while, we allow someone into our bubble, maybe just a quick hello and a gesture, but sure, everybody, yeah. you know, tends to keep to themselves. And even when we're dealing with such extreme crowdedness, we still find a way to still keep to ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right, Greg, cool. do you have Are a question? The trains? Yeah. Um, I think last time I asked... Uh, have you had any issues with being a foreigner in Japan? And I think last time you said no, but now that it's been a while since I've been on the podcast, has any of that changed? Actually, no. Um, I was thinking that I would start having issues and troubles when it comes to like talking to people or um, 
say, going to City Hall and getting something done that I need to get done. Like, for example, I just got what's known as my number card. And Connie, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but my number card is basically Japan's version of the Social Security card, correct? Yes. I, okay. I would say so. I, yeah, it's a little different, but I, it serves the same purpose. Yes. Mm. Okay. So I recently went and got my number card. And I was expecting to have so many troubles, whether it's the language barriers or having to fill up paperwork or, you know, be forced to have to come back another time because I messed up on something. But I was in and out of City Hall within half an hour. Everything went through perfectly and had no issues whatsoever. So, like, yeah, thus far, I have had... No issues with, you know, being a foreigner or an outsider or a gaijin here in Japan. It's kind of interesting to think that something as, you know, diluted or not diluted, I guess, like absurd as uh, getting a social security card, because like that's not a, not even an easy thing when you can speak the language. Right. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So so now imagine you're in a different country and you're almost forced to like sign up for health insurance or, you know, get, you know, call, call an electrician or a plumber on the phone and do whatever. But now you're actually integrating yourself into the government uh, so that they can register you and know that you're there. And then you can, I don't know if, if, if it includes paying taxes, but then you can pay, pay taxes that you need to pay. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so it is really interesting to think that the process is so streamlined that they really, and it's not that you wouldn't be able to have anybody, you know, help you. Like I'm sure you can call up one of your one of your program organizers and be like, "Hey, I really need some some help with this." But still, you know, just the fact that you have to go do it in the first place is is pretty extreme. So that's kind of interesting to hear that you really didn't take any issue of it. No, um, like you said, I did have uh, one of our other fellow teachers. I had her. Uh, on call just in case or prepared to have her on call just in case but didn't need her help I just mm -hmm. filled out the proper paperwork they told me what the circle what the check off they gave me no issues whatsoever they were very friendly yeah and in and out half an hour it was nice, nice. <laughs> and Connie that you have the same experience yes well I um my getting my my number card was actually a very easy experience as well but i wouldn't say all bureaucratic you know uh, application processes are easy mm. <laughs> you know i've i've definitely like i would say almost every you know bureaucratic thing where it's like if it's getting a new visa or your you know, like I, I have this other job, including our shared teaching job. So I had to get this like special license. Oh, sure. Yeah. Things like that. Those processes, let me tell you, are uh, quite involved and uh, you have to do it perfectly. You know, so <laughs> I would say that's that's the uh, a, a big struggle. But, you know, with with help, you usually get it done. But yeah, it can be difficult too. I and, guess so. and help is offered. <laughs> Yeah, well, help, you know, usually with a coworker, I have some family out here so they can help or a oh, lot nice. of, yeah, like, I mean, I won't go into a big story, but I recently moved into a new apartment here in Tokyo and I had been, oh. yeah, I had been living previously in kind of like Gaijin, uh, for Gaijin real estate owned 
apartments. So, you know, like yep. they speak English, they're kind of all, you know, geared towards for, for Gaijin's moving to Tokyo, but they charge a premium. Right. Okay. So when I moved to this new apartment, I, I was like, I'm going to just try my Japanese. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go for a regular one. And it was a very difficult process and a lot of just like 45 minutes just listening while, a, you know, the Japanese real estate agent just read through the entire contract, every minute detail. And I'm like, oh, no. like literally, literally sits, they bring in the, the manager of the, the Fudos on the real estate agent. And they like, okay, here, I'm gonna go through the entire country. And she's literally, it's like three pages of just small bullet points. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, okay, uh huh. And、uh, a lot went over my head. So, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. But I, I made it happen. I'm, I'm now in the, that new apartment and I'm, I'm happy. So, nice. Very good.、Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> All right, I'll turn to you, Connie,、uh, when it comes time for having any issues or difficulties, at least for advice. Yeah, I, I, Well, I mean,、yes. seriously, now you have somebody else who's experienced it. You know, might as well use the advantage of it, you know? Sure. I'm always not doing it a lot. Let me,、uh, I hope you don't make the same mistakes I did, Evan. <laughs> I will try not to. <laughs> All right, John, what's your question? Well, let me ask you this.、Uh, I'm sure that there have been many times where you have. In your experience in Japan at this point, impressed yourself with saying, oh, wow, I can do this sort of thing. But have you had a moment where you have impressed a local or somebody who may not have expected something out of you? This happens and you a lot. ended up impressing them.、Um, this actually happens a lot at, the, at some of the Starbucks. So, like, as practice, I try to have a conversation with the with like the baristas there. And they're always very surprised when I'm able to talk to them and then I'm able to answer back any of the questions that they have. Granted, sometimes they'll have to repeat themselves because I'm trying to still, you know, listen in and maybe I missed something that they said.、Mm. But they're always impressed when I'm actually able to have like a just a very small conversation with them.、Mm. I do wonder how many. You know, foreigners they get in Japan who just don't bother learning the language. So,、mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot. lot. I、oh, think、I'm、there's、sure. a lot. I'm sure.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's because not only do you have to learn the culture, you also have to learn the etiquette, too. So, I think they're more surprised when they see you having the proper Japanese etiquette than when they actually hear you speaking Japanese.、Mm-hmm. Sure. Would you agree about, about that, Connie? Yeah, I agree. I think,、um, you know, two things. I think for, there are a lot of gaijins here who, you know, stay in the, especially in Tokyo, stay in their gaijin bubble and, you know, don't really break out or learn Japanese very much. That's for sure a thing.、Um, and I think with Japanese people, what I really think is as long as they see you're trying, Like, if,、hmm. if it looks like you're putting in effort or you're, you may be struggling, but you're like really going for it, they're going to be like, they're right there with you and, and like try to work to understand and, and give you some praise. Like, I think I find Japanese people are really good with that. And as long as you're trying, they'll, they'll try to meet you halfway. All right. Very cool. cool.、Yeah. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. Very nice. 
So yes, that's been ADA Ask Duck Anything. And now let us turn our attention to you, security guy Greg, because you've become a man of the world yourself recently. Whoa, whoa, wait, no, really? Yeah. <laughs> so you just came back from, I think, a place that is also on my bucket list, Iceland. That is correct. While you're chilling in the east, I decided to travel, well, I guess a little further north. east. I was going to say further <laughs> west. No. You can just say north. We'll get it. Yeah. Well, you know, northeast, northwest, whatever. Yeah. Yes. I went higher, Evan. <laughs> <laughs> and very higher and colder. Yes. yes. Higher and colder. So why Iceland? So Iceland was on my bucket list because of the natural springs that occur over there. And one of the things that I really wanted to try was, well, I mean, obviously those springs and especially in the dead of winter where it's freezing and then they're like, oh yeah, you can just like dip into these pools and they're, you know, geothermal heated and they're natural rock formations. And I was like, awesome. Um, so that was kind of a, a big I don't want to say it was like a big ticket bucket list item because like like going to Great Britain is my big one, mm. but um, Iceland was definitely on there. Nice. So you you got to experience their hot springs then. We did. So we found this awesome deal. So how it all came about was one. I want to say one evening I got a um, email from my partner and she was gets these emails from travelzoo.com and you know she loves to travel also and she goes you were talking about iceland right i'm like yeah she's like well here's a deal i just got off of travel zoo it was like four days three nights with airfare hotel three excursions and uh something else included i forget what it was for like 7.99 a person which i thought was absolutely insane yeah that's a good price Mm -hmm. right right but it it just to at least get to go over there and it's like well heck yeah you know when is it and i'm thinking we could go and you know the summertime where it's gonna be like 60 degrees and you know be really nice outside but the one caveat was no it's in the middle of january (laughs) so (laughs) so i'm like oh like yeah i want to go to iceland but like january it's gonna be so cold and i I don't know man like first something in me is like well if you're gonna go to a cold weather place like you gotta you gotta go when it's the cold like kind of like if i if i was gonna go visit hokkaido i'd want to go visit hokkaido in the winter because like it's a winter it's a winter destination almost See, I, I, it's not like you're wrong, but for me, it's the fact that the older I get, the more I learn that I actually don't like the cold and I'd rather be warm. Oh, dude, I, I freaking uh, hate the cold. Yeah, I hate <laughs> Wait, it too. Oh, oh, okay. Never mind then. <laughs> so we're all in agreement on that point. Yes. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how it just like came about. And then we just, we jumped on the opportunity to book it. And, you know, 10 months later, here we are. Wow, so it took almost a year for this trip to actually come to fruition. Well, so, yes, which sounds long, but usually when you plan a big trip like that, you have to wait. I think most people plan at least two years out. And this was like, oh, 10 months ago, we just saw the deal. We took it, and then less than a year, we're already going there. 
Yeah. So nah, was, dog. All my fun. all my trips to Japan have been like months before. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I couldn't do that. No, I feel like I'd have to plan like a year out at least. Well, you remember, I I I, I travel I travel solo, so I it's literally just me jumping on a plane and then going without having to coordinate with anybody. Well, uh, oh. Evan, how long did it was it for you to coordinate this trip? Like thirty years or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say that, but um, I think, yeah, from when I got my acceptance in March, yeah, it was like almost four months of pl- of having to prepare to fly over there. Huh. Okay. Well. Yeah. So I guess I'm really slow then. I, I don't know. <laughs> yes, we know, Greg. Yeah, it, it's cold. You know, everything's slower when it's cold. So. <laughs> yes. But um, outside of the hot springs, like, what were some other big highlights for you in Iceland? So the three main excursions were, of course, the the hot springs, or the one where we went to was the Sky Lagoon, and I'll, I'll touch more on that in a minute. Mm. But we also did the Northern Lights tour, and mm. we also did um, an excursion called the Golden Circle, which I thought was... Well, so let me explain what it is first, actually. So the Golden Circle is this big area right outside of Reykjavik where you go around and you basically see some of the natural landmarks and beauty of Iceland. And it, it's basically you drive in this giant circle and then come back to Reykjavik, the BSI bus terminal is kind of like their main terminal in the city. Mm. Um, so when you when we were doing the Golden Circle, I thought that the Golden Circle was the entirety of Iceland. Come to find out, it was like the smallest corner of the country. And I look at a bigger map and I go, wow, I was very, like, er- uh, not arrogant, but kind of ignorant to the size of Iceland. <laughs> because <laughs> you look on the map it does look small but when you experience it for yourself it's just it feels like you've entered another dimension oh yeah it's absolutely huge and when you go there especially in the middle of winter it's very think of kind of like think of the midwest in winter where it's all kind of you know tan uh, grass but there's a lot of it's very kind of hilly too, just because of all the 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 action that happens uh, with the tectonic plates and the uh, you know the active volcanoes that are in the country and they're erupting in what seems like all the time. And then you get the natural lava that flows down and then kind of hardens over time and then creates more uh, terrain. Mm. So it's a very interesting landscape. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned uh, the Aurora Borealis, and you posted pictures of, of this on your Facebook, and mm. it, that must have been amazing to see in person, because just looking at the pictures, it felt like you were experiencing something very alien. So, ironically enough, and maybe it's just how we viewed it, but when we were viewing the Aurora Borealis, I couldn't even tell it was that at first. So we took a boat tour and we went from the port out into the middle of, um, I wish I knew the the lake or whatever we were on, you know, right outside of Reykjavik. But as we're sailing out, the captain pointed it out and was with a laser pointer, mind you, which was the really cool thing to me. And, <laughs> and um, because you could like, it was so dark and crisp out that you could just see the laser pointer and like where it was pointing at. Like it was just, she had like one of the best laser pointers I've ever seen. But 
What do you anyway, want? That's... <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, that laser pointer. It's like, no, no, no. I'm looking at the Aurora Borealis. Like, no, no, no. That laser pointer, bro. <laughs> well, it was it was everything, man. It was just it was a really good piece of technology. So she's she's pointing up, and the Aurora Borealis. I couldn't even tell. It looked like a very thin cloud, and she said it looks like that because. We, it, I think it's something to do with light pollution, how our eyes haven't adjusted to the pitch darkness to see the natural color. But if you take your camera out, your phone camera out and put it on night mode, then the photo sensor in the, the phone camera kind of negates that having to adjust. And then you see the true colors. So as we saw the real thing, it looked dull and gray, but then you take the photos and then you go, oh my goodness, there's so much deep greens and there's hints of red and sometimes you get shades of blue and and the cool thing was that when we're out there on the lake the um uh, the captain said that in this in the six last six weeks that she was doing the, these tours almost daily every night the night that we went was the most active it was in that time period oh. so it started as soon basically as soon as we left port it it started right up and then it didn't stop even when we got back it was still going and it was just so beautiful um yeah it was just it was something to really take a hold of or look nice. at really Very yeah, that's cool. awesome mm -hmm. so out of curiosity because you know you hear a lot about iceland and you look forward to iceland or some some areas you might want to check out was there any place that they took you that you at first felt really hyped about, but then when you saw it for yourself, you felt, eh, I guess that was okay. That's interesting. Um, honestly, no. I think all of the spots I went to in Iceland, it was kind of, you know, jaw dropping. I mean, there were different degrees, of course. Like, I, th I think, as I said, the Sky Lagoon probably had my jaw drop the most. Mm. Um, but no, there was really no boring parts. Um, the only, I, I guess I'd say the only negative experience I've had were sometimes with the buses because they kind of ran late and we heavily relied on buses. Mm. Um, especially when we did like a, we did one of those like city bus like on off tours. And in Iceland, they were just like, they listed all the stops that they would stop at. But I guess in the wintertime, they just might not stop at all the stops. So we just drove past countless stops. And then when we did get off to see something, we then were like, okay, you know, the the count, the time calendar says they'll be here at 320 and then it's 320 comes and goes by. And we're like, okay, the next one's at 410. 410 goes and, you know, goes by. And we're like, all right, the last one's at 450. We've been standing out here, it's freezing. And yeah, we're just, just in the, on the bus. The frozen tundra just waiting. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was just so bad. And then, you know, I, I was annoyed, but when the guy finally came, you know, I kind of felt a little bad because then, you know, we get on the bus and he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, it's just, it was so late because of traffic. And I was like, yeah, I, I understand. And then as we were like sitting in traffic going around the rest of the city, I'm like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of Boston. Like, I, I tried to escape <laughs> I Boston to, to leave this. <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> 
That was like when we, that was like when we went, uh, I went to Vancouver and and I was in the city and it was just awful. I was like, this is terrible. This is exactly Boston traffic. I I do not want to be here. Get me out of here. It's so <laughs> funny you mentioned Vancouver because I went there probably a year or two ago and the traffic actually wasn't bad except for if you go around like the cruise port in Vancouver, it's absolutely terrible. But yeah, you just you can't escape traffic. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we should have a Vancouver talk with one of our other teachers that works with us. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, uh, Connie knows who I'm talking about. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, fantastic trip. Would you say that you'd like to go back again? Yes, but I don't. I wouldn't go right away. I, there's plenty of other places I want to go to first, but mm-hmm. I'd like to go back to at least. Get in the Sky Lagoon more because we had we were kind of rushed through it, but the experience was just amazing. I highly recommend you guys go to, to the Sky Lagoon. Mm. Yeah, like I said, it's on my bucket list too. It's su- it looks like such a beautiful country to visit. There's so many like pictures I've seen of it, and it just looks it looks nice. Absolutely. The, the pictures the pictures don't do it justice. You really got to go in person. And also, save up your money because it can get very expensive there. Really? Yeah. yeah, so I think when we ever we ate out, uh, we probably spent minimum like $20 a meal, but usually it was like probably 30 to 40 a meal. Um, and, you know... No, there, I guess there was no other point. I was going to make a point, but it's not related to the cost. But anyway, the the it, it just is expensive. The only things that are relatively cheap there are their water and their electricity because they're power geothermal with a volcano that sits Ooh. outside of Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. That it's is cool. actually like. It, it, are, are they just one big supervillain base? Because that sounds like amazing. Almost. I mean, if you look on my Facebook, one of the pictures is of the volcano, and you'll see in the distance a little smoke, like steam smokestack. That's the power plant they use to power the city, which is really cool. But then I turn to my partner as we're looking at it in real time, and I go, "Hun, they're like one eruption from like, yup, there goes all of our power, and then like right the chest through." No, it's an actual volcano. Yeah, I don't know if power is the thing that I'd be worried about with a eruption, though. I mean, it's like, yep, there goes all of Iceland. Well, just their main epicenter, basically. But the rest of the country will be fine. <laughs> Maybe. We'll uh, see. Uh, yeah. A, a little quick thing. I, I've heard, you know, Japan, you know, has obviously a lot of like geothermic activity and onsens and that stuff. But I hear that they're really hesitant to do that same geothermal power. Like they use nuclear or they still burn coal, I think, because uh, the big like onsen, um, like the people who own the rights to all the onsens and all these things, they have like a monopoly on the geothermal they're like we don't want anyone mm. touching it we need it for the onsens and i feel like japanese people because they love onsen so much they're like yep i guess we just gotta use nuclear because we we can't mess with our onsens which i think is interesting yeah yeah though to be fair those onsens are very comfortable oh very nice and i think the japanese people like i mean my family they every vacation they get they go to an onsen like I think although they are hesitant about nuclear power and there's also been some issues, I think everyone's kind of just like on the same boat. Like, yep, 
on sensor first. Like, we'll we'll figure out another way. <laughs> yeah, it's I do find that very interesting. Mm-hmm. But Greg, I'm glad you had a fantastic time. I'm glad you are. Well, you could be back anytime, anywhere. You could you could always be a part of the show, no matter where you are. But I'm glad you're back, safe and sound. Thank you very much, and it was a absolute pleasure to get to talk to you guys again and speak about the trip, so I appreciate you having me on. Anytime, Greg, anytime. So let's move on to the other man of the hour, Connie Crab, teacher, mm-hmm. musician, and one other part-time job that I have not mentioned to the other guys yet, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So my question for you, Connie, is... With you being part Japanese, how much knowledge of your culture did you have before coming here as a teacher? That's a good question. Nice question. Um, well, actually, because you guys are all Boston peeps, right? Mm. Yes. Okay, so my mom, you know, she was born in Tokyo, uh, you know, very Japanese, but she actually moved to Lexington, Massachusetts. When she was like, yeah, Massachusetts, when she was like six. So she, you know, is, you know, speaks Japanese very well. And, you know, her household, they only spoke Japanese. But, you know, her personality and all this is is very American at this point. Her best language is English. Um, So, you know, I she was very American, but her entire family is very Japanese still. Mm. So when we would when I would go back to Lexington to visit her, her parents, my grandparents, you know, they would barely speak English. And then we would go back to Japan often. So, you know, although I'm not as Japanese, I would say it's like someone whose mom was like grew up in Japan, you know, and, you know, demanded me speak Japanese. There was a lot of cultural things that seeped into my life from a very early age. Right. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So you mentioned that you've visited Japan often, going kind of back and forth between America and Japan. So, like, mm-hmm. have you seen every part of Japan then? Um, I've seen a lot. I've definitely seen more since I've uh, moved out here about six years ago, um, obviously. But, you know, I, we would probably go back as a family once every two years, especially when I was really young because my mom's really close with her cousins out here. And and uh, and then my grandparents moved back uh, maybe 10 years ago, too. So, um, but, and I also belong to a Japanese Buddhist temple in um, Berkeley, California. California. So um, in high school, I went on kind of, it was almost like a, a Japanese birthright trip. You know how like the oh, wow. uh, Jewish people do that? You know, they get to go mm. back to Israel. Mm. Yeah. So if you belong, I guess my Buddhist temple that I belong to is affiliated with one of the biggest it's, it's one of the biggest like organized temple J- buddhist temple organizations in japan and so they paid for maybe six of us teenagers to come to japan and they like we stayed in temples and they like you know we went to Niigata, kyoto and all these so that was like i think really the big trip in my life where i was like oh i can really see myself living here or there's something here that's drawing me um mm-hmm. So I think that was like the biggest culture. The other ones were really good, but it was more just like visiting family or, you know, going to a reunion or stuff like that. Yeah. Mm. So because of how often you visited, when you actually finally moved here, 
Was there anything tough? Were, were there any adjustments that were harder than you thought that they were going to be? Sure, good question. Well, I would say, you know, because I also came with the JET program. I, I think Evan actually took my position at my school. I, I, yes, yes, I took your yeah. job. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not yeah. getting it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all you, man. It's all you, bro. Yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, but, you know, so I still work at the same school. But when I moved out here, I would say my, like, culture shock that, you know, I think a lot of people, the Jets, fellow Jets that I moved here with, um, I didn't really have the culture shock. Mm. Um, sure. I wouldn't say, yeah, because I had, you know, you know, some of the things that were like annoying my, you know, my friends or coworkers are like, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know, some complaints, like social complaints, like girls being flaky or all, you know, these things that a lot of uh, gaijin will complain about early on in their Japan trip. I, I was like, I mean, this is just, this is just the way it is. Like, you know, I had already knew, I'd already been around that kind of vibe. Um, I would say the most difficult thing for me was, was the language. And, and it still is like, mm. I didn't speak very much Japanese as a kid. Um, I spoke some, but I really started studying when I moved out here, and um, that was by far the biggest hurdle. Because I, and, you know, communicating with—I'm going to my cousin's dinner, uh, my cousin's house for dinner tonight, and they don't speak any English. So, my first four years here, I would still go because I wanted to, you know, connect. But I was, I was like a fish out of water, you know. So that was—I was think that was the hardest part. But that's that's how you get better too. So, yeah, that's actually a really fascinating, you know thought that I, I mean I've certainly never thought of before like what if I had a family that lived in a foreign country and I could couldn't speak the language of the people who like are my own flesh and blood yeah you know that's um that's just a really interesting perspective that I don't think I'll ever experience really so yeah it it, it was I mean because I I would in my I would say my greatest skill you know always growing up was like I was always able to communicate really well with people and talk and connect really easily and yeah, when I, and I expect, you know, with my family members to just be like flowing, but when you're, there's a, a very significant block towards that connection, the language, you really have mm -hmm. to work and find other ways to connect. And, you know, luckily, I think when you're with a family or good friends, you find ways to connect. Alcohol helps a lot too, I would say. <laughs> um, but yeah. <laughs> so as we mentioned, you teach at the same school as I do. And for the sake of you know, protecting where it is we work, we'll refer to it as Mizu Otokohai. Okay, so, Mizu Otokohai. Mizu Otokohai. <laughs> In the five years that you've been there, how do you feel teaching has changed since you've begun? Like uh, how we're teaching in the English conversation program? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, when I got there, um, our fellow Canadian um, <clears throat> teacher had just started, I think, maybe earlier that year. Ah, okay. And, and, and they kind of hired him to kind of revamp the Ikaiwa program. And before there were some English, like British teachers there who I, I don't think were very nice. And yeah, so, you know, our... Vancouver teach friend teacher had um, a plan and I kind of got in there and was just kind of like fill, filling in the plan, you know, and then and was it was teaching with him and teaching with Japanese teachers and some of the classes were different. 
but by the second year, that's when we really started splitting the classes, Evan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then it really became just me able to lead my own classes and doing my own thing. And, you know, once that cha- happened, uh, everything changed. Like, I know you, you I'm sure you've you've been to both of our classes. We teach some of the similar things, but we do it in different ways. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so I think, you know, having and now that you teach your own classes and the our other um californian uh teacher he he he's no so i think the biggest change is everyone's being able to give their own spin on the whatever learning goals we're having i think that's the biggest change absolutely i think i mentioned it to um our vice principal over there is like when it comes to the uh Aikawa program, like the the blueprint or the backbone is the same, but everybody there is giving off a different edu- like execution of the material. And yes. you're seeing that it's, oh, this it's not a situation where this works better than this or that works better than this. It, everybody finds a way to make their teaching style work with the material given. Yes, and I think that's a sign of a good school and a good, uh, I guess, group of teachers or something. It, you know, having the freedom to do that, I think, makes for better education, better things for students, but also a more, much more fun place to teach. Absolutely. Um, when would you say, or was there a moment while you while you have been teaching there where you just felt like this place is great? Like, I am in my element here. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think I, I've I've worked at schools my entire life, ever since after college. Like, I was always a musician, always trying to do bands. And so I was working a lot of part-time gigs, the after-school program for the city of Oakland. And then that led to school jobs. And so working in, you know, public schools in Oakland, California, is a big difference than a private school in Tokyo, Japan. And so Mm. right when I started teaching in Japan, I was like, oh, this is no problem. You know, I'd like I in Oakland, I've got knives pulled on me. I would break up fights every day. You know, and and those kids are great kids, but they're dealing with a very different, you know, life circumstance. And, you know, they're, you know, a lot of them have deal with trauma. And, you know, so they're I'm, I'm breaking up kindergartens or throwing down every day, you know, kind of thing. Whereas here. You have different challenges, but I think I was teaching wise very comfortable early on. But to answer your question, Evan, I think there was a few that maybe in the second year or third year where I was, I started really connecting with some students mm-hmm. and I could really see like myself as a middle school boy and just like kind of the innocence and, you know, seeing them, you know, kind of grow and try to speak English or just, you know, ask me questions about girls or just, and I was just like, wow, like, I, I really enjoy connecting with these. Like I, I saw myself in them. There's like an innocence to them, and I, I was just like, I really enjoy teaching these, these like you know young boys at this school. Like I feel like I have something to offer them, and they're giving something to me. So I think that was like a, when I really decided I enjoyed it. That's really cool. Uh, before we dive into your music career aspect, I'll open up the floor to the guys and see if they have any questions regarding living and teaching in Japan. Yeah, I do not. actually. Any question? Yeah. Um, and my, mine are similar to ones that I would want to be asked. I'm also a high school teacher. I don't know how much Evan has divulged to you, but oh, nice. Um, yeah, so uh, respect. I respect. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
Um, but in regards as a follow-up to Evan's question, I did actually have a, a question in, uh, cause like, uh, so I've only been teaching for eight years, but in just those eight years that I've taught, the caliber of student in America has drastically changed. Yeah. Like the, from what they're able to do, like students five years ago cannot answer the same questions on a test that students today. Um, no, I'm sorry, the opposite. Students yeah. today can't answer the same questions on a test that students five years ago could. And yes. I'm curious if you've witnessed that in your time as a teacher just over in Japan. Um, I would say in America, that's a hundred percent true. Like I, I, I have a lot of teacher friends still. I witnessed it. You know, the mm -hmm. levels that kids were learning at the public schools in Oakland. Like I was like, wow, like a lot of these kids, you know, are, are still having trouble reading or their math levels, you know, whatever it, the readers, you know, we could go and that's a long discussion, but I definitely know that's a fact in America, I would say in Japan, especially we're at a private school. I, I, I almost think it's the opposite. Mm. Like these, I, I've been so impressed. Like since I started at our school, the, the English ability of kids coming into their first year of middle school, which is technically like for many of them, their quote unquote first year of English, like our school teaches the ABCs, I think on like the first day, like they, they go from ground up in middle school and their ability is way higher than when I started here in English. Wow, I can't speak for math, but I would say English way better. And it, it, I would say it's going a different direction here. That's mm. great. Like, I, I I think that's a real testament to, you know, the education system over there and and uh, or even the tenacity of students, like the fact mm. that students want to learn. That's that. I think that's like one of I the think, key I issues. think that is a really big yeah. factor as well right like it's it's the it's the willingness to learn yeah Definitely. i agree i think i think the at least for english learners in in japan i think the biggest reason their jump is is because you know in the past six years like online gaming youtubers mm. um yeah. you know various content just online or even covid like everyone was just online so these kids are really wanting to learn English or have so much more English input or culture that they are, you know, eager to get better and are willing to make mistakes. And yeah, so that's a huge, huge part of it for sure. That's, that's crazy that like, cause all of those things that you just said in list in order are the exact reason why our students are doing worse in America, you know, or at least from, from my, my perspective, wow. cause they got to spend like when they were in COVID, they got to spend more than half the day on their phones, yeah, you know, or when play, we're teaching playing Fortnite, playing Fortnite, probably. Yeah, yes. yeah, right. And <laughs> literally, and like doing that better than learning. And instead, over in Japan, they discovered, oh wow, English is great. You know, <laughs> like so, it, yeah. like, it was just a different thing. Um, but I appreciate that, though. Um, and uh, so, well, can I can I say this one thing about the Japanese educational system, real quick? Absolutely. I think it's really, I think it is dangerous to have too much of a, like, you know, starry eyed, like everything is fine in Japanese education system. Like, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. They're, they're learning a bit. They're, they're English or not English, but like their math abilities, their reading abilities, all these things are better. But I think what the, the common Japanese student is missing right now, especially like, I, I would say, Elementary school education is amazing in Japan, but once you get past 
elementary school it's so regimented and there's so much study there's so much mm. rote memorization mm. there's so much club activities and then you have to go to your cram school these kids don't have any time to just idle time to be bored or, or think of use their imagination or yep. you know just yeah. have time to like learn you know kind of like what it means to be a, a human in this world because they're just in this track. And so I think there's danger to that too. Yeah. I, well, cause I very it, much appreciate your honesty in that, in that yeah, a, it, aspect. Yeah. Cause it does lead to that, that uh, style of life that, you know, that J Japanese people in general uh, lead up to, where it's just like, okay, now you're the salary man and this is what you do for the rest of your life. And you have no idea how to be a real person. And then they end up unfortunately killing themselves, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, for some people, yeah. Well, I mean, they but, have. I'm, we we have to recognize that J Japan has one of the highest suicide rates on the face of the planet, and it's because of it's because of the whole aspect of like, well, like I don't know how to do anything outside of this this regimented eighty out eighty to one hundred hour work week I have, mm. which is just crazy. Mm. Would you agree with that, Connie? Totally. I mean, I, I would say like the club system, like the bukatsu. I mean, mm -hmm. I've had friends call it a salaryman factory, you know, because oh, wow. Wow. from the from the, you know, from middle school, you have your kohai, you have your senpai, yep. you have yep. all these things to do. You have these duties. And I, I think that's why the Japanese, you know, work culture is still flourishing. It's just because people are prepared for it. You know, like mm. a lot of gaijins who go into Japanese companies, they can't hang because they're like they they weren't. You know that kind of work-life balance is not normal, but I think for a lot of Japanese people, it is. And I'm not saying that's a good thing, but that you're right. That's that well, is what's happening. You know what's kind of interesting about that, though, and I don't I don't think what I'm going to say is controversial at all. So uh, I don't know what you can feel free to disagree with me. But it's interesting that you say like when when a gaijin goes into a Japanese work style, they they can't handle it. However there's an influx of Japanese women that are interested in, in making families and creating families with gaijins because they're better at the, like the creating a life and, and like family support and all these kinds of things. Interesting. Like, which the, which the Japanese man isn't very good at, like statistically there are, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of great Japanese families, but you know, as we like see the falling birth rates in Japan, and and the the family structure oh i was actually just i'm sorry i'm going on a tangent a little bit but i i was just watching a documentary on the on uh japanese lifestyles and 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 how all these people self-admittedly were like separated from their wives they were married but like living two separate lives from their families and like yeah. would much prefer like the solo love like sex dolls and and hentai and stuff like to their own wife and I was yeah. just like, man, this is really sad. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. That was a that was a bit of a far off point, but it just seemed kind of connected in a way. Yeah, I, I hear say. I mean, I think you know, like any culture, and you know, there are pluses and minuses on every side. Oh, one hundred percent. Yes. And so I would say that I think one of the you know challenges i mean and we can speak just from the students that we teach and you know some of my friends i know who and some of the teachers at our school went to our school who i'm friends with some of the japanese mm. teachers which is really cool and you know a lot of them they have families but you know their lives 
you know, they don't really have much chance to meet girls at school because mm-hmm. all boys school. And then not only that, they don't really have much time in their life to like go on dates or try make mistakes or all these all these right. things. So I think, you know, right. the it's it's really hard to get the reps. I think one needs to really, um, you know, tackle the challenge of, you know, a, a, a really intense relationship or having kids and all these things. I think it is a challenge that comes if you don't really have the reps once you get there. I'm not saying yeah. it's impossible, but I think it is a challenge and maybe yeah, it's no, leading we, to yeah. some of the issues. We definitely know it's not impossible because they because they definitely have had, you know, thriving or Japanese have definitely had thriving family lives and stuff beforehand. But uh, but we do know that they are being set up for like that salary man lifestyle. Mm. Sure. And, and you regard- know what's funny too? Sorry, go ahead, Evan. And regarding what you were just saying about like earlier, like with kids going to like cram schools, I think with us being like an all boys school, I think a lot of the kids that go to cram schools see that as their opportunity to actually meet someone of the opposite sex there. That's true. That's a good point. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I, I wanted to touch on a little bit was when you, uh, Connie, when you were mentioning, you know, how the gaijins come into the workforce in Japan and they can't hang. Uh, it's it's kind of funny, too, because like over in America, there's this very anti-work sort of culture developing over here because people are like, work is too hard, work is too much yeah. over here. And and yet you know we we idolize the way that like japanese culture in some ways is like oh wow look how much different it is than ours but they don't realize look how much work goes into it being different mm. and then they go over and they realize that they're going into the exact opposite of what they left america for yes i think that's very true mm. and i i think that japan is trying to ch- i think the modern you know i obviously can't speak for everyone but i think the modern japanese uh, worker is 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 starting to get pretty fed up with um, you know bad pay or you know the I have two friends who work actually for like a record label out here and you know they they really like their bosses they're kind of these old heads you know they have like I mean they've been in the game a long time like I think their main boss is like the manager for Brian Eno it's like you know like oh, wow. been really in the game a long time yeah and they still say like. If I am doing overtime and I just like am at the office overtime, the next day every older person will be like, "Wow, you really taking your job seriously? Like, good job, young young oh, yeah, like, yeah. way to go!" You know, and but he, as like a modern, you know, person our age, is like, "That's bullshit." Like I, it, you know, like I don't need this. Just a show. Like I don't need right. Yeah, like, yeah. I could, yeah. Do, I could do all this without. Like that doesn't make me a better worker. And I think a lot of modern people. You know the the overtime culture and also just the low salaries. I think I think starts things are starting to change. Like the prime minister was even like, we need to raise salary. Like I think I think things will change on the horizon. Hopefully, yeah. And I I especially see I especially see what you mean like with the upcoming digital age where people are finding other sources of money than just being behind a cubicle all day long. Yeah. And and those those kinds of people are also changing the structure of like, all right, I get to live this comfortable life on a shorter work week. Right. I don't have to do that solid grind because I figured out an alternate way to, you know, get where I want to be and make the kind of money I want to make. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Interesting. 
yeah, I loved that conversation. That was that was fascinating. Was all about <laughs> all stem from education. <laughs> yeah. So so oh. I, I do have I do have questions still, but uh, probably branching more into the music side of things. Okay. So, all right. So maybe cool. we'll start out with asking you, Connie. When did you start thinking about your music career? Okay, right on. So I, I was always a, a baseball player in high school. I was kind of a sports guy, and I played uh, in the jazz band. So I always played bass, and I played some guitar, and hmm. I always liked playing music. But it wasn't till I got to college. I went to UC Santa Barbara, um, where, you know, I wasn't playing baseball anymore. I had, you know, issues with girls. I was feeling sad or whatever, and I just started writing songs. And then that led to being in bands in college. And then after college, I was in a band in um, in the Bay Area. We were called Bangus Tron. We were like nice. a two piece. Yeah, we would like you know produce songs and you know kind of I guess like synth rock kind of thing and had a little bit of success in the Bay Area. Played like a few festivals and stuff. Nothing big, but mod- modest success in the Bay Area. And then when that band ended when I was probably 25 or 26, that's when I started thinking about moving to Japan, started the JET program process. And I kind of was thinking that my music uh, career was over at that point. Like that was that was that time and I'm just gonna go and, you know, move to Japan, then maybe go to grad school after that. But then I would always still make beats on my computer and write songs when I felt like it. And then when COVID hit, you know, I was just isolated out here. Um, obviously like there were lockdowns kind of and but we weren't going to school Evan wasn't here yet but you know I had all this free time and so I was like if I don't finish songs now I'm not a musician you know so during COVID I finished four songs released them some people really liked them and then that got the ball rolling and so then once this the once the country opened up and like live shows were happening again I started putting a band together and then I released another album last year and now I'm kind of in the process of like playing just trying to get in the tokyo music scene as much as i can play as many shows and kind of build, make my way up from the from the bottom so that's mm. my story mm-hmm. that's awesome really neat <laughs> thanks so so what's the worst gig you have ever played um well like i would say in japan if we want to get into the japanese you know live system i would say the worst gigs are usually like, you know, on like a Tuesday night at these live houses that are, they're kind of like live music factories in the way, like they put on shows, but they're, they're, they're inviting like four different bands and, you know, with some connection, maybe music genre wise. And then they, uh, you know, you, you play for 25 minutes. And if you don't bring in like nine people or eight people, you actually owe the live house money. Nice. Yeah, and so you're actually, so you're kind of on, you know, you're on the the docket for a certain amount of money, and then once you do bring in nine people, then you, like, split the door maybe 50%, but then there's fees to use the equipment, too, and stuff. So, like, I mean, I've had played shows, and those shows are cool, too, because I meet Japanese bands, you know, I they're usually really well done. You have a sound guy, you have a light guy. There's, you know, really good opportunities to take photos. Actually, Evan went to one of my shows at one of those kind of live houses. They're always great, good quality, but, you know, money-wise, say we bring in, like, 30 people, 
maybe I'll only see like 50 bucks of that when each person is getting charged 30 bucks at the door. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that's the negative. Um, but but even those shows, I, I there were always wins. Like I always met some cool bands or I got other opportunities for it or I made some new fans. So I wouldn't say that there are negative experiences, but those are probably like the biggest bummer when you bring in a lot of people and it's like a really good show but you don't get any uh you don't really see yeah, any there's, of that. there's no money in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but if you put on your own shows out here and you like you know make the bill yourself rent out the the venue then you can make money for sure mm-hmm. it's just it's just mm-hmm. a different you just have to do it a different way so how have japanese audiences resonated to your music Oh, right on. Well, you know, I think we're, I'm still at the beginning of uh, building a fan base out here. Uh, I think that they resonate well. I mean, like, I played a show last Sunday, a kind of a late night in Shibuya, and a lot of the Japanese people there, I think, were really digging it. And I think my, the biggest compliment I received was like, they, they thought my music sounded uh, Jap- like it sounded like Japanese music or some of my songs. I think, you know, I have some samples of Japanese music, but I think, you know, living here and, you know, having some Japanese heritage and loving Japanese music, too. I was really happy that they could feel that influence coming into my music. So that made me really happy. Um, cool. I would say, yeah, I would say my biggest fan base right now. And this is going to sound a little interesting. Japanese fan base out here is I would say women over 45. Oh, nice. Yeah, I get I get that. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something, you know, I had some, you know, connections with, uh, I, I play, I made a lot of friends like in this dodgeball meetup, which I can go into another time. It's, it's just like a, it's like American style dodgeball that people come meet up and play and, you know, met some bandmates <laughs> through there. But nice. so there's a lot of older women who would go there and they would come to my shows. And those, those people, are the ones who like come to every show or will buy merch when I release it and like are hitting me up. I think uh, maybe it's because of, uh, you know, my, uh, the vulnerability in my music. I don't know. I think it's getting something, they're connecting something emotionally. I'm bringing something emotionally that maybe they're not getting in their home life or, or in their, I don't know if they're single or something. I don't know. This is my theory. I don't know, but that's what I found. So like you're in the middle of Cougar town. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hope I hope to be going into the middle of Cougar Town. Yes. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I'm down. Uh, yeah. So we'll see. But you know, I'm I'm still like I'm I'm doing a lot of TikTok, Instagram Reels, and stuff. You know, I I don't really like TikTok, but as a content creator, just trying to get my, people to hear my music as much as possible, and also playing as many shows as possible. So. I really hope to, you know, this time next year have like a, even more of a solid Japanese fan base, not just my, you know, my friends abroad and stuff. Mm, well, sure. I mean, that's that's, that's how bands are getting famous now is is through TikTok. Unfortunately, because I'm I'm with you. I I really don't like TikTok. I don't have one. I probably should to promote my own business, but. Um, but I mean, look at Sleep Token, right? Like, I don't know if you know what who Sleep Token is, but um, I don't. Uh, like they're a heavy air quotes metal band that's come uh-huh. out uh, because I think they're quite mediocre, but they've exploded in the in they basically went from like this this cult this cult hit band to this normie metal band with like really whatever lyrics and and a really cool backstory 
because TikTok got a hold of just one, like, ten, five to ten second clips of one of their songs, and everybody started using it. It went viral, and and that's how and overnight sensation. They yeah, just, they just had like millions, and that like you just got to find that one person who clips your music and makes you like an overnight sensation. Hundred percent, and and so like you know I yeah I don't TikTok stresses me out. Like I don't look at yeah. TikTok. I'm a YouTube guy, you know, I, I, yep. I like YouTube yep. and I make I make YouTube music videos and, you know, I, I put all these things and when I would post them on YouTube, you know, my subscriber base and there's so I'd get like 50 views, 60 views. But then if I so but then if I cut that into a TikTok or break it into little TikToks or reels on Instagram, then that mm. I post it post on one thing and that's immediate like a thousand views. Interesting. You know? wow. So it's wow. it's just like the whatever the algorithm or whatever i'm just like okay i guess i just have to do this and you know so but i'm not you know it is what it is yeah, yeah that's for sure as i say in japan <laughs> shogunai 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 <laughs> so are there any challenges to balancing your teaching and music career um i would say the best part of the jet program at least what were we when at the school we're at is we actually once we're done teaching we don't have very many obligations um you know just to like sit at our desk or if it's winter vacation we get more time than other jets um it's just a private school they have more freedom to do whatever way they want um so i think the biggest reason i'm a musician right now is because i had a lot of time you know i i I was studying japan japanese and then i was also doing music and work like that was it and so mm-hmm. it was really good for that. But now, because I work this other job, which I'll tell you guys about later, um, it is, I mean, I'm constantly busy. Like if I'm not going to either job, I'm like getting ready for a show. I'm going to practice for a show or I'm trying to finish songs or I'm trying to finish a video. Like all of my free time is is geared towards like furthering my music career. And unfortunately that time is a little small and I'm tired, but I, because I love it, it's all good, but it would be nice uh, if I had a little more time to do it. But And, and I, I, I'm sure I will soon, but it is a challenge. Mm. What would you say your mm. biggest goal is, music-wise? Uh, my biggest goal, music-wise, is, you know, now that I've kind of decided to set up more permanent roots here, is just to keep creating and releasing songs that I think are good and you know growing as a musician growing as an artist in my own way here um, and building a fan base here that is like big enough where it's like I can put on three shows four shows a year and I know they'll sell out and I Mm -hmm. know that like there's like a fan base here that I can like have you know it's like a kind of a community and if I can like play in Tokyo and be a part of the music scene here, Japanese musician friends, you know, friends with the the Gaijin community here, like just kind of be a part of the Tokyo music world and like be picture in it, that would be like a huge win for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I'd work, you know, of course the 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 uh, I think the loftier goal is if I could just do music full time, but that's that's not really like where I'm like really really. Uh, you know, step. I'm just taking step by step to just like build a fan base, and if if that happens, it happens. That's great. If not, I'm just going to keep creating, getting better, and if one song hits, then that's all that matters. Yeah, man. I mean, 
it, it kind of has to do with the same mentality that I've been running with. Um, uh, cause I'm, cause I'm an independent business owner, owner myself. <laughs> and the biggest part about being an indie and, and, and having an audience is you have to enjoy what you're doing, regardless of whether people are watching or not. hundred percent. You know, I like, agree so hundred percent. Yeah. So even if you had zero audience, you would do it anyway. That's the that's the biggest part that that indies need to remember. And I think that by the way you're talking, it sounds like you have that mentality. And I think that's awesome. Hundred percent. Why we keep recording this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and and that, I I respect. And that's I think that's really what it takes. Like you know, I a lot of younger people, like you know, they're they're in it to be famous or they're in it yep. for these other things. And I'm like, then that's that's completely the wrong mindset. Yeah, totally but, wrong. But I, I think it does take someone time you know i'm in my 30s i don't know how old you guys are but uh 30s it took i think it it takes the lessons of your 20s maybe to get to that point or you just realize like you know i love it and i think then that when you actually love it and you put all your time into because you love it that that inevitably will lead to more success at some Mm -hmm. point so i I do have faith in that so yeah that's it's true Mm. absolutely Guys, do you have any other questions about him music-wise? Uh, yeah, let me take a look at my list. <laughs> or, or about the Japanese, you know, live music scene or system. I, I yeah, right. Inside to that. A um, lot, lot of bands in Tokyo trying to make it. A lot of Japanese bands trying really hard. Really good musicians. Mm-hmm. They they all sound. There's every day of the week, and there's a billion live houses. There's shows, and people are. You know, people are trying. So then that's actually a really good question then is, is do you have a favorite band that you have played with? Uh Uh-huh. I would say Japanese band, my favorite. I never played with them, but I met them at a show and I I will play a show with them at some point. I, 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 I'm sure I think they're getting more successful here. They're called bowling party. Okay. Bowling party. There's these three Japanese dudes when I saw them, they were kind of dressed like in these kind of like PE uniforms and just kind of like nice, like indie rock. They're really good musicians, really good vibe. Um, this band called Bowling Party. I, I really like mm-hmm. them out here in Tokyo. Um, and then, you know, I would say in the Gaijin band world, there's some really cool bands. I, the the venue that the Gaijins play a lot and it's more kind of like a American style one where either they'll pay you or you know you'll you'll be on a bill but you'll you'll you, you know you can get some money but you're not you're not you're not on the the docket for a certain amount and it's a little more yep. um, chill is this venue called the Ruby Room in Shibuya that I play at relatively frequently and there there are some Gaijin bands who are you know I think pretty legit um, one's called the Portal uh, me and Evan are actually going to a show there in a few weeks, so we'll have more insight. But I'm kind of in, have infiltrated that world a little bit, and yeah, yeah. I think the biggest thing, just to one more tangent, is I mm-hmm. think Tokyo has a huge Japanese music scene, and there is a burgeoning Gaijin music scene. And I don't think that those two scenes have fully integrated in any significant way. And I really yeah. hope that that happens more so soon like the the events that i put on i really want to be like maybe a gaijin band and a japanese band you know it's like trying Mm -hmm. to build these build these two communities which are right now i found to be relatively separate 
Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Uh huh. Okay. How has um how has your music career do you think crossed over into your teaching career? Interesting. Um I don't I don't really know how much like it has informed my teaching itself, like my curriculum. I would say the biggest thing is I because I'm you know, I like my bandmate uh, was really good friends with uh, Sekai no Awari, if you know that that band. Um and so I've met some of these and I've met Sekai no Awari and I've met some of these bands and started listening to bands that my students really love. And yeah, so yeah. that's that's been a way of connecting with them for sure that, you know, if I wasn't in music I, I wouldn't have otherwise. That's kinda and, cool. Yeah, and that's teaching cool. te- teaching's kinda like performing as well. So the better I am as a performer and the confidence I have on stage, like definitely I think can translate to you confidence in the classroom for sure. That's more right. or less probably like what I was expecting as an answer, you know, like, yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was part of me was like, I bet I'd be surprised by an answer to that. But that's like what I would expect. You know, it's like, yeah, you're a musician on stage. You're you're a performer every day. 100%. 100%. I think that's you maybe to, why I like teaching. You have to pretend like you know what you're doing every single day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 100%. All right, Evan, take it away. All right, so I mentioned that Connie also has another part-time job, and I have not revealed this to the other guys. And, Connie, I want you to explain to him what this job is. Sure. I am a high-class host at a club in Shinjuku. No, I'm just joking. I'm not. <laughs> I'm being cool well, us, though. Well, my guess, my guess was that you're the guy who cleans all the soap uh, land rooms yeah, after. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the cleaner. I'm the yeah. I'm the, guy, I'm the guy who stands out in front of a soap land with a sign. No, I'm just <laughs> But no, I my other job. So you know, I think come next year, um, I'll, I think I'll have a bigger role at our current school. So I'll, I'll probably have to work less of this other job. But it's been a huge blessing. Um, my other job is it's called a uh, world family. And it's a Disney-affiliated English learning um, system or, like, books and CDs. And so it's, it had literally has, like, Mickey on the front. It's called Disney's World of English. And, uh, you know, families will buy these. I think introduction to buy, like, the first textbooks or the CDs, it's, like, two grand. Like, it's, it's for – it's wow. very expensive. Yeah, it's crazy. And then if they – on top of that, if they subscribe to this thing called World Family Club, um, they get, you know, you know, all these videos and they have events. And then they're, the main thing is they get to call into this hotline called Telephone English once a week per family. And each each of their child gets like a, a, a lesson or a call and they call into this call center. And then someone like me, a Telephone English a performer, I think they were called you know answer the phone's like hello thank you for waiting this is telephone english and then they will either do a book lesson a free conversation or most likely they'll do a song and so i had to to get hired i had to memorize 110 songs that were created for this program they're not like disney like moana songs they're like um, you know, Donald's dream that they wrote or Mickey has a hat or something, you know, it's like <laughs> that they created for this program. So I have to memorize these songs, 
a kid calls in that's like, I'd like to sing Donald's Dream and Flour, Sugar, Milk, and Butter. And I'm like, okay. And I'll say, okay, please put Tomoki on the phone. And I'm like, okay, let's sing Flour, Sugar, Milk, Butter. And I literally sing the song. The kid sings it. And then I say, okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you for calling. I hang up. And I'm, I'm literally in a call center of like, you know, 60 other foreigners and we're just singing songs in this call center <laughs> Jeez, that is insane is that like, crazy? that's like a secret underground thing that is just like happening underneath our noses that i have no idea is happening like, <laughs> well, are, are you sure you're not going to get shot by like telling us about that because <laughs> it feels like it but i mean here, I mean, here, and I had heard about it when I had, but I, because I was working the jet program, I didn't need, you know, an extra, or you're not even supposed to have a second gig right, in the yeah, jet yeah, program. Yeah. So, um, but I had some friends who did, I heard about it. And then my bandmate, he joined a few years ago. And what's crazy is, you know, because there's, you know, a limited amount of native English speakers in Japan, in Tokyo, there are a lot, but there are, you know, it's still limited compared to Japanese people, of course. Um, and plus people who can memorize 110 songs or something like you have to have some musical ability with that, too. You know, they, it actually pays really well and it's really flexible because it's a limited pool and they're always hiring. Um, and so, you know, I didn't know it exists. But once I got in there, it was it was kind of like, how did I end up here? And like, I can't believe this exists. But like. Because it pays really well and it's also flexible, I was like, thank God it exists. And it's really good for my singing practice. And I mean, it's pretty chill. You're sitting in a you're sitting in a cubicle. You don't have a video chat. You're just like, hello. Thank you for, you know, so. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. <laughs> but it is just strange. Imagine, like it's way better than, you know, any customer service call center. You have some angry kid, you know, calling 100%. up and is like, it's like last time I was in here, I tried to sing Donald's hat and he didn't understand the words. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, there are that they do complain. I, I haven't gotten complaints, but I have some coworkers who have gotten complaints uh, oh, that their no. their singing wasn't good enough. Or, oh. <laughs> but you, no, usually the complaints are like, you know, the the performer didn't seem to be checked. He seemed to be checked out, you know, or something like that. But. Um, I mean, it's way better than any like telephone sales job. That's for that's for darn sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is not anything like what I was expecting to hear from that. So I appreciate you keeping that a secret <laughs> for as long as you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, out of all the songs you have to sing, what's the hardest one? The hardest one is this song called When the Sorcerer Had His Magic Hat. It's based off of a Fantasia, the Fantasia story. The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, sure, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. There's oh, so wow. like, there's all the books and the CDs. All, and so the books, the CDs, the book lessons, they're all connected. So there's probably like 10 songs based off the story of The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And the there's three Sorcerer songs one is like this minor one when the sorcerer had a, his magic hat and that's the heart my, my friend is taking the song test right now and he's uh he can't pass that song so he can't work oh until he passes gosh. it <laughs> like it's, like, it's like a guitar hero level it's just like <laughs> literally <laughs> i i like i like this this hidden lore and and just imagining that 
you go to sleep every night and every single night your dream is just one of these songs over and over and over again because it's like ingrained in your deep subconscious of like the library of everything you know oh <laughs> I, I woke up this morning with one of the songs just going through my head this, this morning. <laughs> so 100%. I, the fact that you need to you need to memorize these songs like i would figure that in order to make a perfect system they would have like all the people who are working in the call center would have like a karaoke machine in front of them, or like or like a computer that like plays the lyrics of the words so you don't forget them or something like that mm-hmm. well yeah like a, it would be cool if they had like background so we actually so we do have the lyrics okay so we do have the lyrics but we don't have any background music so that uh, yeah, you would think that would be cool. If like, okay, here I'll press play on Source America and we'll sing it together. Like, they don't do that. I think maybe it's because they want. It's about like interaction. It's like the student doing output. Um, yep. So you know, it's it's not so bad if you have the lyrics for a song like "Happy Birthday," obviously. But you know, as the 110 songs progress, the melody gets very difficult and all these little nuances which i i guess help the learner um or get it in their brain yeah it's it can be very difficult for for a lot of people and you just said like you there's no background music to play yeah you just have to you just have to oh and and, i mean because you're i'm literally like uh a jukebox in a way and they'll be like okay i want to sing you know how deep is the water and uh, um magic is easy and, you know, I, I just sang, you know, whatever, 60 other songs that weren't that. And then I just have to be able to see it and be like, oh, yeah, it's this melody or some, you know, like so hmm. some people can do it. Some people can't. I, I think <laughs> that's what it comes down to. I, I definitely think I'm in the camp of the people who cannot do this unless children want to hear like Tom Waits versions of these songs. <laughs> I was literally just about to say, like, if, they had like a sab- if they had like a Sabaton version, I'd be like, I know, I know every single one of these songs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's funny. Well, That's yeah, awesome. you know, if, if any of your listeners are moving to Japan, that the world family doesn't sponsor visas but once you're out here if you are good at singing it's a really good job to you know make money and stay in japan i think so really interesting awesome yeah before we move on to the next thing uh, any upcoming shows that you want to promote uh yeah i'm playing actually a show um next sunday i i met this guy at a um a foreign guy i play this open mic night at this ruby room a lot and through playing this open mic, I, I get gigs. So I played a gig last Sunday, a late night gig that I'll probably do again next month. It's just like, uh, I, I kind of take it as like a, a stand-up comedian. Like I'll go on whenever I can. And right now it's like midnight on Sundays. So that's a reoccurring thing. So I'm going to be doing that at Ruby Room in Shibuya's probably at the end of every month on Sundays. And then I have another gig on the 18th of February, uh, Sunday during the evening, where I'm opening for this uh, other band. Um, yeah, and then I'll be putting on my own shows uh, probably come May or uh, fall. But yeah, so those are, if you're in the Tokyo area, hit me up. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, yes. amazing. Connie, thank you for coming on the show and, you know, stick around for the rest of it, of course. And I'm glad to, to have you on, talk about music, talk about life in Japan, because, you know, you've got quite the interesting life, man. 
<laughs> well, I really appreciate it. It's really fun. Uh, it's really cool hearing, uh, you know, you guys, you know, talking about this. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come on anytime. It's been really fun. Absolutely. Um, before we move on to one of the other big things that we're going to talk about, um, AFLM, Andrew, any new updates with your Kickstarter? So Kickstarter's going okay. Uh, I can't complain. Uh, we have made our goal, uh, but I think I believe uh, last time we did the show, I, we had we had made the goal, or or have we not started yet? Last time we did the show, I can't remember. No, we uh, did. No, we did. you made the goal. I mean, I had made the goal. Okay, so uh, we now we're kind of we're at twenty three hundred, or, or at least uh, a little bit above twenty three hundred. I'm I'm working my way to try to get up to twenty five hundred. Uh, mm-hmm. Currently at thirty seven backers, uh, which unfortunately is about 50% capacity that we were at last year. So I've, I've, I've last year I was at double where we are at now. Um, but everything that I have is suitable for printing and, and getting inventory for the convention season to come up. Uh, but with the, with what we have ahead for the book, uh, I would like to continue to make at least a couple more stretch goals, maybe up to 3000. Uh, cause next stretch goal is the, uh, first, chapter of volume four so everybody will get a sneak peek of that and then at 3k i unlock a holographic sticker and the reason why i want to unlock it is because i want that holographic sticker too so uh so for those who don't know uh i am aflm and i have an indie novel indie graphic novel i should say we are currently releasing the third volume is called salarian sun uh, imagine it as if uh, what if tolkien wrote thundercats and then set it in the wild west a uh, story about uh, family, friendship, and grieving death uh, mixed with demon slayers, cowboys, and and mercenaries. That's and cool. Yeah, th- thank you. It's I've, uh, So uh, for, for you that don't know, uh, Connie, I've been doing this for five years now. Uh, and, you know, uh, my Patreon, uh, we're up halfway through... Halfway through volume four. So I'm, I'm about to hit 700 pages. I'm about like t- about 20 pages away from hitting 700 pages uh, into the story. And by the by the time it's done, I should have seven volumes of the book, and then I'm going to move on to a couple more volumes that are just extra information and, wow. and building. But, but yeah, this is, this is my, that's my business is, is doing this. So right now I'm, I'm funding my next, my next uh, season of convention tours by redoing uh, inventory, refilling inventory with the funding and also uh, funding the printing of the third volume of the book. And then hopefully uh, maybe sometime next year or, or the year after that, I'll be done with volume four and printing volume four. So looking pretty good so far. Wow. Congratulations. Very cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very cool. All right. Let's talk about the one other big thing that recently just dropped on Amazon Prime, at least on the West Coast, the Western part of the world. Um, so back in high school and college, there was a TV show I used to watch called most extreme elimination challenge. <laughs> <laughs> and and what it was was a redubbing and um, a redubbing of a classic game show from Japan called Takeshi's Castle, starring the big time director, actor, comedian Beat Takeshi. Last year, a new version of the game show came out, and it finally was released on Amazon Prime for the Western world to experience. And For those who don't know Takeshi's Castle, this is the hardest game show ever concocted on the original show that aired in the 80s and 90s. 
only eight people have actually won in the final battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we've got this new version, eight episodes on Amazon Prime, and they have the 100 participants that have to defeat four different castles, with Takeshi's being the final one. And you've got 100 participants from your average Joes to, like, uh, work clubs to YouTubers and even... Cheetan herself, the little baby, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little baby otter. There yeah. are even there are even participants of Sasuke, which we know in the West as Ninja Warrior, who are trying yep. their hand at this competition. And just watching this new version, you get an understanding of why this is one of the hardest game shows, probably of all time. Yeah. And I just want to say to uh, that extent in the first episode for the first castle that they did. So the first two episodes, they had um, Mr. Sasuke there who has beaten Ninja Warrior. What, like, uh, like eight times or something like that. Yes. And and he, he in, in the first two episodes, he did not clear a single event. <laughs> and just like, and he was just, you know, he was so bitter about it. He just bullshit, you know, like just. <laughs> well, you kind of uh, see, see some of these games, and it's like, how can anyone actually beat them? I know they're yeah. actually like hilariously mean about it, about how impossible these freaking things are. <laughs> and then they, they keep making them harder too. As the games go yep. on, they'll introduce smoke or you know, yeah. like extra, extra water. We're gonna have someone yeah. chase you now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, uh, how far has everybody made it into the series? From I've the watched beat? all eight episodes. Did you really? Oh my gosh, you're way ahead, Ben. Because uh, I'm I'm in the middle of episode three, so I've watched yes, the first. Same. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was nothing funnier. I mean, the, I think the show is an absolute riot. Like, mm. I understand that back when MXC was a thing, American culture had not yet embraced what Japanese culture was. So guys like me and my brother and Evan and you, Connie, probably like we got it. Like we we were in the anime Love world it. or at least we were growing. We were starting to bud into the anime world. And uh, and so we kind of understood what it was. So MXC was a good replacement for that. But it's I always found it weird that you parody a parody, right? Like it's weird uh -huh. to make something funny that's already supposed to be funny. Yeah. And and the fact that they didn't think American audiences would understand that type of humor. Like now we just have Takeshi's Castle because the world is, is used to it. But MXC was the thing because they're like, oh, well, we have to make it into something else so that, you know, American audiences will get it. Yeah. Um, Which, uh, don't get, get me wrong. It's still really funny. Like I've been watching a lot of the old episodes of MXC on, I think, the Tubi app. And a lot of the jokes they still make in there are still really funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, but the but the thing that I wanted to mention was watching Takeshi's Castle. I I I'm like in stitches watching like the commentary the commentators of the show are so sharp. Yeah. And yeah. so funny because you know that they're doing a lot of the stuff off the cuff like the fact that like in the first episode when the guy comes in he's just like i'm gonna kill takashi like let's go get his castle and they're like no no no, you're the you're the general like you 
you, you're, you're protecting the castle. I was like, oh, okay, well, then let me protect my castle. And then they have the AI Takeshi come on, and he's just like, oh, like doing his thing. And, and he's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, that was definitely that was definitely an AI thing. It's not Takeshi, like, standing right over there with a microphone, and we're listening to him. Like, and everybody's just like, <laughs> it was, like, all that, st- all that stuff is just brilliant. However, the one moment that had me going was in episode two, I believe, when they're do it when they're going through that maze of, of like infinite doors and the yeah. uh, professional wrestlers yes. are in it and then and then Kudo Chan is in it. Yeah. And and the woman gets grabbed by Kudo Chan and he's like he's like, Oh now you have to marry me and she's like no and she pulls him into the water with him. Yeah. And then like she's being interviewed and and Kuro Chan just walks over like all sad and wet and they're like what happened? He's just like the staff is going to yell at me again. And <laughs> yeah. I just I just lost it. Like I yeah. just I couldn't handle it how funny that was. It mm-hmm. it's a brilliant show. It is it's so entertaining that I I I'm just in love. I'm absolutely yeah. in love. They knocked it out of the park. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. Have you reboot. have you um have you gotten to the one where they're playing the red light green light the Dorama San Wakuranda with the female pro wrestler? No, no not that. yet. Oh my gosh, you're you're <laughs> in for. Oh, let, let's just say this: there are more ways to win this game than you think. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I did love the um, the consolation games that they were playing where they had to pull the ball out of the like a, a, out of the, the hidden thing. And then like one of the doors opened and yeah. like who was behind it that they had to do tug of war. with. Oh, oh yeah, that was the tug of war one. So oh, my gosh. And the like it just could... seemed like that they were just having a good time. Like the like the two sumo wrestlers that came out in episode two and they were just like all five of you. Like I want all five of you to, to take us on right now. And it was just like a bunch of girls, you know? Yeah. And yeah, it's just like and then the really, other sumo wrestler like kind of like time. ditched his buddy. Yeah, like he ditched his buddy and like didn't fall in the water. And <laughs> just having uh, a good time. It's, yeah, it is. There's a wholesomeness to it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think yeah, because, that, that, <laughs> no, that competitive nature of like, oh, I'm going to beat everybody else isn't there. There's a camaraderie to all the contestants yeah. on the show. Yeah. And yeah. staff and staff. It's yeah. almost like it's they're refre- all friends with each other. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yes. It's so it it's is. refreshing TV. It really is. Yeah. Like when they're when they're uh, doing the credits to the show and they're showing everybody behind the scenes and like yes. everybody's taking pictures with Mr. Sasuke and then like yes. they're playing rock, <laughs> paper, scissors with each other and Chi-Chan is there, you know, just... Yeah, that was it, it, that was so nice when they did that. I thought like they because they they kind of like made a point of that one guy who was kind of like you know trying to become the Mister Takeshi's castle and was like helping everyone but was like sucking in the events and they were kind of making a joke out of him. I felt like you know and like they were kind of being mean to him a little bit on the commentary. But then at the end they were like he was the greatest member and like you know kind of showed the. I thought that was really nice what they yeah. did. There. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, it's 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 a phenomenally good time that everybody has to watch because yeah, it's yeah. in 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 an age of so I think we should preface this for people. I mean, I'm guessing that people who listen to this podcast do have an idea of Japanese culture and everything, mm. but uh, it, it's possible that people coming in from the outside don't understand that Japanese comedy is solely based around the fact. That actually, what we were talking about earlier, the salary man, the whole salary man thing, when they come home and they want to watch comedy or entertainment, 
Japanese comedy is turn your brain off comedy. And、mm. they, they don't want to think about anything anymore. They don't want anything too deep. It's just silly. It's just goofy. A lot of it is slapstick. A lot of it's pratfall. Yep.、Uh, and and so, so when you watch something like Takeshi's Castle, it, it's competitive, but it's relaxing because everybody is so kind and everybody is so funny. Like genuinely funny. And the jokes you don't have to think about. They, they're telling the jokes for you and, and you just laugh along. Like I'm working. While I'm watching Takeshi's Castle, even though I have to read subtitles to do it, because they're laughing too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And,、uh, everyone, and, and is, I, everyone is in on the joke. Yes. Everyone is in on the、yeah. joke. Everybody That's knows that this is. Everybody knows this is an impossible game. Like, you see, like, the final round where it's, like, the two tanks. And, like, they have this tiny little target that the contestants have to get in. Whereas the. <laughs> They have this huge target that the opponents can easily hit, no problem whatsoever. So, like, winning that one million yen is next to impossible. <laughs> But they know that. They know going into it, oh, I'm here because I'm getting to experience one of the greatest shows ever made for Japanese television. They're not.、Well, in- yeah. They're not in it for the money. Well, maybe some might be, but like, they're not in it for the money. They're in it to experience a good time and be a part of history. Yeah. Well, and, and think, about, think about this aspect, too. They, they got people who were on the 80s TV show and brought them back or their kids back. Yeah.、Right? Very cool. Very cool. Like, yeah. It, well, it, I was, and the fact that they show it. And the, the other thing that was really cool is how they acknowledged. That this is a worldwide phenomenon. Not that people have seen the original Takeshi's Castle, but because they knew NXC was a thing as well. Yeah. 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 They know, like, and I'm al- I've always been curious what, like, B. Takeshi has thought of, like, MXC, like, the redubbing of it. Or, or if he doesn't just if doesn't care. Like, oh, I'm getting more eyes. I'm getting more,、yeah. more notoriety because of this. I- Because it was because, because of MXC where I started to dive into B. Takeshi's like, filmography. Started watching like Sonatine and Battle Royale and Blind Swordsman Zatoichi and Kids Returns.、Mm. Like, and like, a lot of these movies aren't like, hilarious. They're, they're like, really deep, they're really good dramas. There are some good、yeah. comedies that he's done. But、yeah. it's because of this really silly game show that he helped bring to life. That I got to experience like, this new form of cinematic art. And I wonder <laughs> how many people have, have actually g o that far. Like, how many other people watch MXC and were like, let's see what other things this guy has been in. Yeah. I, I, think, it's, I think it's hilarious that Beat Takeshi's, probably his most famous role, which ironically I haven't seen yet. Is, is he's in a movie called Rage, which is basically the Japanese Godfather. Oh, Outrage. Outrage. That's what it is. Outrage. Yeah. Like, and he's, it's basically the Japanese Godfather. I haven't seen the Outrage series, but I think there's a, it's a trilogy, right? Yes. There's a, it's a trilogy. Yeah. So,、uh, and、uh, it's just funny that he plays this mobster and, and, and yet he is so diverse in his acting that he's actually the, Like the face of this comedy show, like this comedy hour. And I don't know, I just, I just love it to death. I honestly just love it to death. It's, well, it's one of the greatest things ever. It's the best. 
Well, he hosts like other variety shows too. I think he's he's been a host of one show since like 1990. And for him to be going back and forth between doing some like serious drama to just slapstick, like you said, turn your brain off comedy. Like that mm-hmm. shows just how talented of a guy Beat Takeshi is. It would be like Robert De Niro doing a uh, television game show, kind of, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, Almost, that's, yeah, that's, more or less, yeah. I kind of want to see that. Can you? I don't, yeah, me too. <laughs> I don't know if Robert. De, I don't know if you ever seen Robert De Niro on like Letterman or something. He's not the most. Uh, uh, I don't know what the animated of of characters. Char- charismatic. Yeah, he's charismatic. not charismatic. Yeah, no. True, true. I, I still like him. I still got love for him, but he's, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, maybe, oh, what about Al Pacino? I think maybe Al Pacino <laughs> has got the charisma that Beat Takeshi has. He could probably yeah. do a game show like this. That's yep, actually that. pretty good. Yeah, because he's also like now Al Pacino does nothing but like Adam Sandler movies, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. And he's kind of a character of himself at this point as well. Basically, yeah. Mm. But yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, I mean, I grew up watching that with my dad. We would watch MXC all the time mm-hmm. and nice. loved it. And, you know, watching it now, I, I didn't really know all the background of, t- you know, like, of just like someone who watched Power Rangers growing up. I didn't know the the background of what it was before in Japan, Power Rangers or, or you know, right. it's like yeah. something like Speed Racer. I just, but, you know, so yeah. watching what, what it actually was now is has been such an amazing thing. And, it also, I think, like for you know the Japanese community, when they they don't even really I, I can't speak fully, but I, I feel like they don't even really acknowledge like MXC is like this kind of different thing, you know, that, like right. Takeshi's Castle was kind of changed for American Idol. Like they may yes. understand that on some level, but I think in their minds, for the average person, it's just like oh, they were just watching Takeshi's Castle, like right, you know, mm. like that, that distinction it doesn't really. Uh, you know, come, it doesn't really, isn't very important in, in their minds. I think from my, at least my cousins and stuff like that. Interesting. I, I that That's is very a, definitely a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I'm glad we have this new version. I hope it gets renewed for another season. Oh, it's true. Oh, <laughs> I know <laughs> it's got everything we need. It's got everything we need. Agreed. And I will say it's this, like, it's better. always, it's, it's always, it's always funny seeing these guys fail, but I'll say that it's so frustrating when you see them get so, so close to winning yeah. one of the games, only to like say like, missed one step and just fall into the water. It's it's just, it's like you laugh, but then as the, like the contestant goes on, you start to like okay cheer. Yeah, this guy can do it. This guy can do it. Ah. Oh! Yeah. So close. I think I think what it's a it's a perfect balance or what they're doing now is a perfect balance of the kind of like ruthless kind of, you know, can see as perceived as meanness of like a Japanese game show. You know, these people are falling huge heights and they're going to be kind of mean on the commentary, but mixed with the wholesome like, oh, it's this group of college girls, you know, and they're all like having fun in their college or these like. Uh, uh, a young middle school girl and her father and friend like it's a perfect balance of this kind of like kind of harder Japanese comedy where it can be seen as mean but also this wholesomeness it just works perfectly mm. yeah absolutely and I Only, feel like 
Oh, yeah. Uh, I had only one thing to say about Takashi's Castle, Evan, which is add it to the ducket list. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Connie, do you think you and I could like find some other willing teachers who want to take part in Takashi's Castle? Oh, that would yeah, be for so sure. great. Let's do it. God, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, yeah let's it, do it. You, you just be like the team of English exchange teachers because yeah, yeah. they would eat that up. And we just play. <laughs> we just we just lean into every stereotype there is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that would be so great. I, would be if great. I, yeah, if do I it. Do, if, can, if you guys can put a team together, definitely yeah. go do to get your castle. <laughs> I I would absolutely like right before I start start one of the rounds, I will absolutely shout, I won't get eliminated! Yeah, like, yes. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, well, let's look That's into that. Real stuff. Yes. <laughs> let's look into that. Let's look into that. Alright. Speaking of hard, hard challenges, it's time for our quick quiz. And, and that sneaky security guy, Greg, had to log off because all of our questions are all about Iceland. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, you could—he could have aced this. He could have aced this. Maybe. All right. So, quack quiz. Our first question: The Icelandic children's program Lazy Town had an unusual and often older female cougar fan base surrounding a certain evil character. Name that character, and for bonus points, name their song that became a viral hit. Oh, I know, like, so many famous Lazy Town things just because I'm of the internet. But, like, uh, I I know I could describe him to you. He's, like, the pointy chin guy. He actually just recently died. I know. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know his name. I, yeah, I know dude, the pirate. I, <laughs> I know the pirate song from Lazy Town. Connie, do you know the answer? I have no idea. All right, the answer is Robbie Rotten and his song "We Are Number One." No way. <laughs> I only what remember. Is, what is, what is, What's with the theme of uh, like a cougar fan base today, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. Question. I know that uh, I know that uh, Alestorm made a uh, made a, a cover of "You Are a Pirate." Oh, okay. So. <laughs> All right. Question number two: In the movie Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams play an Icelandic singing duo who aim to win it all at the big song competition. Name a song that everyone in their hometown wants to hear. Over. Yeah, yeah, ding dong. Yeah, 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 ding dong. <laughs> we played it already. Drop, play it again. <laughs> no, legitimately, that movie is so funny, and it has it no right to be as funny as it is. Agreed. It's. I think it's Will Ferrell's best goofy role, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Now, question number three: Which Icelandic singer plays the role of Cirrus? In the 2022 Wicked Anime American Hardcore nominee, The Northman. Oh man, um, I know this one. I actually know this one, but I totally 
forget the name. I I am totally blank on the name. But I, I thought this uh, was gonna be like the easiest so one mad. because it's like I kn- name an Icelandic singer. <laughs> Connie, do you uh, know the answer? Bjork. Bjork. Yes. Yes. Bjork. Okay. <laughs> She's the Icelandic singer. There's nobody <laughs> else. Love Bjork. Love Bjork. Me too. She is a great singer. My She's my mind was going in like it's a weird word like Enya or something like that, but not far off. Not far yeah. off. <laughs> she actually just released a really cool new music video where she's kind of um like I don't know if it's CGI, but she's kind of like Virtua Fighter, like Tekken style fighting um this other singer, Rosalia. What? And it's like no. really dope, really? really dope. She just really it's like all the proceeds are going to stop um uh fishing Com- companies who are trying to build fisheries in Icelandic waters. <laughs> what? So, it's actually really good. I think she just released it like last last month. It's a great song. Cool music video. <laughs> wow. I'm going <laughs> to say like it's a noble cause because I think they have enough fisheries over there. I think yeah. it's really like it's like protect Iceland's beautiful, you know, untouched nature. Oh Don't, yes, absolutely. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. Don't touch that nature. I think we have I'm a down. very similar attitude when it comes to a lot of Japanese nature here. Don't touch sure. that. Except the Japanese are very, very big on ocean fish uh, fisheries. Oh, I yes. know. That. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yep. There's a there's a documentary about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, hey. All all I'm gonna say is I've eaten whale and it's very mediocre. <laughs> yeah. I've eaten dolphin. Japan, it is also have, mediocre. Yeah, when I'm in when I'm in Japan and I have the option to eat whale, I'm still gonna do it. <laughs> yeah. I uh is it any worse than eating horse? You know, I eat uh, horse I, is so gross. I actually heard horse is pretty good. The the problem it's pretty good. the pro- the problem with uh, whale is it doesn't taste like anything. So it, it tastes yeah. like the wasabi or the ginger that's put underneath it, like as the uh-huh. sushi, because it's just blubber. So it's just fat. And and so, uh, so yeah, yeah it, it really just doesn't taste like anything, which is like, eh, all right. Well, At least I did it. <laughs> my my Japanese cousin who uh, I'm really close with one of my Japanese cousins, his kid um, is like 14, really nice kid. He really, really does not like the Sea Shepherd guy, whatever the, from the Whale oh, Wars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Like yeah. He, my my like fourteen year old Japanese cousin. He's just like a, a little Tokyo kid. His <laughs> his like enemy number one is that guy. I mean, to <laughs> I be think fair, it's I don't like I don't like him either, and I, yeah. not a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. That's yeah. Oh man. All right, our final question. This is might be the hard one. So. Name the 2022 Madhouse anime film from the creator of A Place Further Than the Universe, where Iceland plays an important part of the film's narrative. I have no idea. Oh, man. I think I've only seen a a couple episodes of A Place at the End of the Universe. Okay. Yeah, the only the only thing that I, I have that involves ice and that guy is a place at the end of the universe. I think that was the first thing that I ever see, saw of that creator. Okay. So I don't think I know this one. All I right. think I am stumped. All right, Kata, you got it on the ideas? I have no clue. All right. So the answer is goodbye, Don Gleese. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't would have been able to guess that. Yeah, that's why it's <laughs> the hardest one. Yeah. Never even heard of that. Yeah. Okay, so 
That was the Quack Quiz, and we have just wrapped up this episode of Duck and Muck in Japan. So, since you are our guest of honor, Connie, please plug away. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, you can follow me um, at YouTube at Connie, K-A-N-I-T-R-A-B-B. That's my YouTube channel. And then for Instagram, TikTok is Crabbins, C-R-A. B-B-I-N-Z um, Yeah, those are two best places to follow me And then if you uh, if you search on Spotify or Apple Music um, If you type in Connie I'm just Connie K-A-N-I there um, But if you type in the album's name is Crabbin Same as my um, Instagram and TikTok you'll, My music will, should pop up so it's, it's a hard to plug, but I could send a, a link, a link tree as well. But uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, please yeah. hit me up. Check out my music. Would love that. Hit me up if you have any questions. I, I'm always down to connect or whatever. Yeah. Well, how about we end the show with like one of your songs? How, what, if we, what if we played one of the songs? OK, sure. Go for it. Do you want to you want me to send like a YouTube link or, or something to the or what do you guys? Uh, well, you, can, the, or you know, my music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we'll um, we'll play one of your songs. Um, well, what song would you think is the best song to introduce our listeners to your music? Um, I think. Well, I have a song called J Pop. Um, it's kind of a little. I have a cool YouTube video of me just walking through the Tokyo streets. Um, so maybe that's the one. It's the okay. first song on the the newest album. If you find that. Okay, so we'll play that song at the end of our show. Okay. It's also, it also has a, a sample from a uh, this anime called Arakawa Under the Bridge. It's oh, is, I love that anime. That. that the uh, the manga is fantastic too. Like I, yes. I, that's a great series. Yeah. So I, I mean, there's a, you may not be able to hear in the song, but there's a little sample uh, from that song in the chorus. Nice, nice, nice. nice. Yeah. All right, AFLM. All right. Well, if you guys want to follow my work, you can head to solariansun.com where you can read my webcomic for free. Uh, I have just posted up to page 286 for free, I believe it was. It was 286 or 285. I don't remember. I'm sorry. I think it's 286. Uh, So you can read that for free, uh, which is about halfway through volume two. Uh, However, if you want to support the project, um, you can head to patreon.com slash AFLM. I also have a free members joint. You can join as a free member. You don't have to pay. But if you pay, uh, you can get things like sneak previews of new pages, or you can read all the way up to page 681. Uh, I'm actually currently working on page 683, and which is the start of chapter 24. Uh, so expect a new chapter to start next week. Uh, and of course, uh, I have... Uh, the Kickstarter running. So if you head to Kickstarter, look up Solarian Sun, you'll find Solarian Sun Volume 3, where you can back the book and get either uh, your digital copies of the book for anybody who is overseas, or you can get hard copies of the book if you're uh, either in the United States or Canada, uh, where you can buy volumes, buy Volume 3 and get uh, Volumes two, uh, 1 and 2 at a discounted rate. Uh, the more the more backers we have with the more uh, monetary funding, we'll hit our, hit our stretch goals, and you will get uh, added rewards for free with your book that will be exclusive to the Kickstarter and then of course which will uh, kick off a really strong season on my convention tour uh, this will be the first season where I actually go out of Massachusetts most of my conventions are within Massachusetts but I will be starting out of state and heading to New Hampshire as well uh, so I will see you on the road and maybe one day Comicette 
Maybe one day Comic Cat. Um, I, th- I believe actually my next stop is going to be MegaCon in Florida because actually that's happening this weekend and I'm having some serious FOMO because all of my convention buddies uh, are are currently there, including yeah. a whole bunch of YouTubers, including my own art teacher who has his own booth there. It's just everybody's there and I'm not. And I'm like, man, this is torture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to be at MegaCon right now. Yeah, absolutely. Very I, cool. John Starr. Thank you. So uh, you can find me on Instagram at the line block or otherwise you can just find me sitting in front of my CCTV CRT TV trying to get a new personal best. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And as always for our listeners, B32, B3Crew.com for all our news and reviews podcast episodes. And you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook inst- or Instagram at KingBabyDuckESH. Um, got some things planned. Um, next episode of Duck and Muck in Japan, I'll be talking about... I can't believe we've gone so far with like kind of like memeing this out. But on the next episode, I'll be talking about... Going to see live in concert Uma Musume. Incredible. The, the preview <laughs> that you sent this morning was just unbelievable. They were wearing the ears and yeah. they were <laughs> all there and cute and all that. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to handle this show, man. It's like, <laughs> am I doing this because I really love Uma Musume or am I doing this because of our running joke of yeah. Li- yeah. of liking this. <laughs> Connie, are you even aware of what this is, what he's talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, oh. Uma Masume is a magical anime about horse girls racing for, for their lives uh, at the track because um, <laughs> they love it. And when 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 the show first aired we watched it because we were we thought we were going to be trolling it but every single one of us fell absolutely die hard in love with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's great <laughs> and there's been three seasons there's been like a special youtube ova there have been concerts there's a movie coming out uh, there's the mobile game. It's 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 grown into a phenomenon here in Japan. It can't it can't be Hell stopped. Yeah. <laughs> it can't be stopped. <laughs> and you guys are on board for all of it, I assume. That's right. We yeah, are we're we are. We are, we're on the hype train <laughs> to destruction. Yes. And as soon as we finish this episode, I'm heading to Toyosu and seeing this concert. I That's insane. I don't know how I'm going to react to this. If, if, with glow sticks. This is, with, with glow sticks? Am I going to be like this? Am I going to am I going to feed into the madness, or am I going to be sitting there being like, I wasted eleven thousand yen for a joke? Not, not if it's three to four hours, like you said. Jeez. Oh my god! I can't believe that like these shows are going to go this long. But more on I that. Wait, I can't wait to hear about it. More on that and the next Duck and Muck in Japan. So. <laughs> Until next time, this is your King Baby Duck. AFLM. John Star. And? And uh, Connie Crab. <laughs> Reminding you that if you're going to chase your dreams, make sure, make sure you, you run, run a muck. Um, that was pretty good. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> that good. Was, that was all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
All right. Make sure you're on mine. Yes. Listeners, enjoy this song by Connie Crab. J-Pop. Heck yeah. K-bye. K-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>